it's a beautiful morning for us to gather together to worship God, and I hope that you are here with an intent to focus your mind on God's Word and on the blessings that you and I enjoy as being God's children. Last week we began a study of the book of Ephesians with an emphasis on the fact that we're going to study this as an expository type lesson. That is where we take God's Word, we read it, and let it speak to us, rather than our, for instance, taking topical lessons. And I will assure you that if you will study closely with us as we go through the book of Ephesians, that you will be encouraged and edified. There are some powerful songs about blessings. I thought when I began to study the book of Ephesians, these first few verses, I thought about the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God has done. But the song that captured my attention more and more as I studied through this was a song that Brother Paul just let us in. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That short song conveys, I believe, what Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 is attempting to say. There are no more powerful passages to be found in the Bible on the subject of blessings than that of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. One needs to explore the depths of this passage in order to appreciate the blessings of God. If I were to ask you this morning, are you a blessed person? Most of us would have to say, we certainly are. As I would begin to list the things that I would say I have been blessed with, I think most of us would begin with the fact that we live in comfortable homes. We've been blessed to have a number of what we might term as creature comforts, and yet I would suggest to you as we study through this lesson, that is only going to pale in comparison with the real blessings that God has given us. I want us to look at this passage very simply, number one, with the source of the blessings in the first part of chapter 1, verses 3, and uh, then we'll look at the second part of that third verse, and we'll talk about the sphere of those blessings. Then we will talk about, in verses 4 and 5, the scope of them, what God intended that that imply, and then finally to look at verse 6 and talk about the significance of those blessings. Let's begin, first of all, with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The words, blessed be, the original Greek word there is the word from which we get our English word, eulogy. If you go to a service, a memorial service for someone who's passed away, they quite often will say, who delivered the eulogy? The word, or the letters E-U means good. The word L-O-G comes from the word logos, which means word. Literally, good words. Who spoke the good words? When you look at this verse, 
Blessed be, he said, these are good words about God. They're praise. That's what they are. The source of these blessings is identified as God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We emphasize God because we talk about his divinity. We're not talking about just anyone giving us blessings. This is God the creator, the sustainer of our universe. He has blessed us. And then the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The relationship He has with Jesus our Savior. There's a lot within that. A lot that deserves to be explored. But simply let me at this point emphasize the fact that the book of Ephesians is going to emphasize the church of Christ. You cannot talk about the church without talking about Christ and God's relationship to Him and to us. God blesses because of who He is. It is a part of His nature. You think about all the many passages that come to your mind when you think about blessings, and certainly you have to realize it's because God is who God is. And it's essential that we recognize Him as that source of our blessings. In the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 17, James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We are dealing with a real God who is of such a perfect nature and a perfect character that only good comes from God. Or you can go to Matthew chapter 7. In that wonderful Sermon on the Mount, the Lord says to his disciples, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then he applies it to us. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You think about our prayers. How it is that we address the Father in heaven and we ask for blessings. Blessings. No one can bless like God. No one else is in the position of God. Psalms 147.5 says, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. God not only knows everything you need, everything you want, but God is mighty in power and capable of delivering what we need. Sometimes we don't even know what all we need. We don't even know how to ask for what we need. 
But then you have to tie that with the sphere of our blessings. If I were to have to single out one part of this lesson that was the most important, the most significant, it's going to be this point. The nature of these blessings are described as spiritual blessings. Spiritual is often put in contrast with the physical in the Bible. For just a moment, consider with me what the word spiritual itself means. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. He said, I couldn't dress, address you as spiritually minded people. What you are doing, you're thinking only in worldly terms. You're thinking like babes in Christ. Or if you go to chapter 9 and verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Do you understand how Paul uses the contrast of spiritual versus physical or material? We have been blessed with spiritual blessings. While physical blessings are good, the spiritual ones are better. They are the greatest of blessings which we enjoy. Is it a great thing for us to have food to eat, clothes to wear, a nice home to live in? Most certainly. But folks, those are not the kind of blessings to which Paul refers here in Ephesians chapter 1. Twice he will use the preposition in to locate the sphere of our blessings. What he will talk about is they are in the heavenly places and then he will say in Christ. If you will permit me to use a physical illustration, I think you can grasp the meaning. If I would say the food is in the house, in mama's kitchen in the oven, you are circumscribing the sphere, the location of where the food is. And you are even further locating it in that location as well. So if you will, let's explore that for just a minute. The heavenly places. All or every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places. Where are those? If you're going to understand a term which may not be familiar to you, you need to know how the person who's speaking uses it. We could go through a number of passages in the Bible, but I just want to focus your attention to the book of Ephesians and see how Paul uses it here. Notice with me as he answers in chapter 1, verse 20, which he worked in Christ Jesus, or Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended back to the Father in heaven and he sat down next to the Father on his throne. He sat down in the heavenly places. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. And raised us up together 
and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. When we are raised, where shall we sit? Also with Jesus at his throne. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, he says to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. He's talking about what will be known and where it will be known. It's going to be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Well, if I tie that with chapter 6 and verse 12, I think I begin to understand. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, let me tell you something. There's a battle going on. And we're not talking about the wars that exist here on this earth where there's flesh and blood and carnal conflict. There is battle going on between the forces of truth and righteousness with God and that of wickedness and evil and the devil. And sometimes because it occurs in the heavenly places, we're totally oblivious to it. We're unaware of it. Were it not for the book of Job, we would not perceive that Satan comes before God and is the great accuser of the brethren and says Job does not serve God but for naught. Job doesn't serve God because God has uh, a man who loves him, but he says the only reason why he serves you is because you blessed everything that he has. And Satan says if you'll take away Job's blessings... Job will curse you to your face. Folks, Satan is accusing you before God right now. These heavenly places refers to the spiritual realms, to where God is. The word indicates a location. And clearly, heaven is where God resides In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. He is taking and saying, you have here on earth and you also have in heaven. Now folks, this is a real important part of this. Nehemiah 9 and verse 6 says, You alone are God. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything in it or on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. We've got to understand the difference between the earthly places and the heavenly places. The ultimate enjoyment of man It's when he gets to go to heaven and be with God. 
when Paul says, Blessed be or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The full culmination of that is with God eternally in heaven. The second in is in Christ. And I mentioned to you just a moment ago, the food is in the house, it's in the kitchen in mom's oven. That really circumscribes of where the location will be. And this locates where one will find the spiritual blessings. To be in Christ is to be in His body, to be in the church. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and look and see, he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. To be in Christ is to be a saint and is to be faithful in Him. In chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Once you get into Christ, you're no longer distanced from Him. You're now in His family. You're in His body. And that had reference to those Gentiles. Romans 12, 5 says, So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. But the passage that I think is perhaps the most easily understood, Galatians 3, beginning with verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're baptized into the body. Where are the spiritual blessings that are provided to be found? They are found in the heavenly places. They are found in Christ Jesus by being a part of His body. Now let's look at verses 4 and 5 and the scope of these blessings. As you start observing how these blessings were provided by God, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I want you to observe with me, we frequently will approach a passage and we'll look at it superficially. I'm as guilty as anyone in this audience. You pick up your Bible and you read a passage and you just look at it on the surface and say, well, that must be what it's all about. But then you really rarely dig a little bit deeper and realize just how complex God's plan really is. 
At this point, if I could do what I wanted to do, I'd go to Romans 11 and point out how Paul looked at God's plan. And then he stepped back and he observed the depths and the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are His ways. You see, there's such complexity in all of this. To be chosen, to be predestinated, involves God's blessing of plan and choice. His plan, His choice. We are chosen in Him. That's the way God intended it. If you get into Him by being baptized into His body, that's the way God intended it to take place. Just like birth into this world is the way a person enters this physical world. You have a mother, you have a father, you are born. We are begotten again by His Word and we are born again into God's family by being baptized into Jesus Christ. This plan was chosen before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light, He already had a plan in mind as to how He would take care of man. In 1 Peter 1, verse 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God had the plan. He just brought the plan to fruition at His good pleasure when He intended it. To be predestinated is a term that many people struggle with. Did God somehow decide on His own that He's going to save Paul and condemn me. Nothing that we had done, nothing that we had said, it's just arbitrary. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. God has predestined that we be conformed to the image of his Son. If we're going to be in him, God expects us to be like him. Ephesians 1, verse 11, And him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God has a purpose in mind. You know, the deist says God decided He's just going to create this world and then just let it run its course, let it go whatever direction it wants to go. That's not what the Bible teaches. God had a plan in mind. And that plan was to bring a Savior into the world. That plan involved people being conformed to the image of His Son. But let me tie this all together before my time runs out in verse 6. Verse 6 is a very key aspect to this passage. God is due praise because of His benevolence toward us. It's not as if I can say I deserved it. God is due praise because of what His beloved Son did. Let me tie these two concepts from verse 6 together. 
According to verse 6, praise be to God for the glory of His grace. Why? Because of the glory of His grace. Because God was so careful to make us accepted. Do you like to be accepted? I do. I like for people to make me feel like I'm okay with them. I like to be accepted in a group. I like to be accepted in my family. God made us to be accepted here. I want you to listen to Peter in Acts 10. He's gone to the household of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. It's not something that you ordinarily would do, have a Jew go into the home of a Gentile. And Peter says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Verse 34. And in verse 35, but in every nation, he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Does that not say exactly the same thing that Romans 8 says about being predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son? In every nation, He who fears God and works righteousness is accepted. You can be born in Southeast Asia in an area where people have all sorts of Eastern religions and you can fear God and work righteousness following His Word and you can be accepted. You can be born into a pagan society where people practice all sorts of immorality. You can fear God and work righteousness. You're accepted with Him. You see, God's not a respecter of persons. His predestination involves an acceptance based on being conformed to the image of His Son. But this is all made possible because of His beloved Son. When our Lord was baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, and then when Peter, James, and John went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with our Lord, we read in Matthew 3, 17, and a suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 17, verse 5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Jesus was the beloved of Ephesians 1 and verse 6. It all is wrapped up in Him because of who He is and what He did. In fact, the significant thing is, is that God didn't just give something that was unneeded or worthless. He gave the very best of heaven, expressed in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We are a blessed people who do not deserve the good things that God has given us. I know it's easy to think in our minds, you know, I, I've been blessed with a good family. I have been blessed with more material blessings than I can use. But folks, 
the greatest blessing we have been given that we did not deserve was Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. He didn't deserve to be there. We did. We didn't deserve that kind of grace, that kind of mercy. But God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Him. Our greatest blessings are those we enjoy in the spiritual realm. And all of this was planned for God for us by means of His Son. What a tremendous blessing that you and I enjoy by being Christians. If you'll open your song book now to the song of invitation. What could we say that would motivate you to want to respond to the Lord's love and blessing? We can at best remind you what God has done for us and then those who love Him can respond by faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, with a penitent heart saying, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed, confessing their faith in the Christ, that He is the Son of God, and then being, being placed in Him by being baptized for the remission of our sins. If you've not yet become a Christian, Now's the time for you to do so. If you're one of God's children, you're in Him, but you're not walking with Him. You need to be restored. Would you come together as we stand and sing?